This is the first time you'll hear a preacher start this way. Will you please pull out your phones this morning? Pull out, I'm serious. Pull out your phones and take a look at the top. And I'm going to do a little quiz here. If you look at the top of your phone, you'll see there's a little bar that tells you how much battery you have left. I'm going to do a little quiz. Uh, who has half a battery or less left? Anybody? A few of you, yeah. Who's on red? Anybody on red? Okay, I'm on red here, so we're in trouble. We know with our cell phones what it is not to be able to plug in, not to have energy, not to have power. We live with that reality, right? Especially when you're traveling, you get low power. This morning, I want to talk about how we plug into God's word to be energized by the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, look, I'm new to Florida. I moved here three years ago, and I just realized when we came, went through Ian what it is not to have a generator. You all know this. The power went out in Tampa. We dodged a bullet in Tampa, but I looked around at the houses around about me. My power was out, and everybody else's power was on, and I knew one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> and I heard all these generators around me, and yes, last week I bought a generator. But you see other people and you see the power they have in their life and you ask, what is wrong? What don't I have? That's, that, that's the feeling I get when I read here in Acts chapter 13 about these Christians and their response to the word. I hope you notice that in Acts chapter 13, we read there uh, down in verse uh, 44 and following. And we saw there how Paul was preaching in Antioch and Iconium. And he was preaching from the Word of God, and he was telling what the Spirit had said about Jesus and about his message of salvation and the resurrection. And it says there in Acts chapter uh, 13, verses 48 through 52, that when those Gentiles heard that, when those who came to believe, they rejoiced and they glorified the Word of God. And when you glorify someone, you, you speak some highly of something. You lift it up. These people, when they heard the word, they had joy. They blessed it. They said, this is wonderful. And they thought highly of the word of God that was proclaimed to them because it brought salvation to them. The story goes on in Acts chapter 13 that when they had gone to Iconium and had suffered persecution, that the disciples there who believed and had come to an understanding, again, the language there is that they are filled, not with battery power, not with energy, but with joy, and it says there, with the Holy Spirit. The image here is of Christians who, when they hear the word, they hear the message of salvation, they're filled with joy, they're filled with appreciation for the word of God, they themselves are joyful, and they're full of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is power for those Christians in the word. I want that power. I want to hear the word of God and I want to have joy in it. I want to glorify it. I want to be filled with happiness and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's a problem because today when we hear that language of reading the word and being filled with the Holy Spirit, we scratch our heads a bit. We say, what exactly does that mean? What, should I be filled with the Holy Spirit when I read the word of God? And the answer is yes, you should be. But let's answer why we might have a little bit of pause when we see that sort of phrase. This morning, I want to suggest to you that what we need to do to be energized by the Word of God, to be empowered by the Word of God, to have full joy in the Word of God, is to realize the Holy Spirit is in that Word. And when we read that and we take that into our lives, we are filled with that Holy Spirit in a way similar to what these Christians are here in Acts chapter 13. 
There's power in that message, power for our lives that re-engages us with the word of God on a daily basis. And I hope the the message is helpful to you this morning. Now, one reason it gives us pause to read that language of being filled with the spirit, and we're kind of maybe wonder about what that means, is because in the book of Acts, that word is used, that phrase is used in different ways. There are sometimes that word is used, particularly in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, where it's a reference to a miraculous work of the Spirit in the apostles in the first century Christians' lives. And that's a distinctive use of that word. That's not the only way that phrase is used, but it's worth noting that Acts chapter 2, verse 4, in the day of Pentecost, there the Spirit fills those apostles. It says there that they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Now, this is an example of a miraculous gift of the Spirit, which we know from Acts, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, was to pass away. There was a period in the first century in which the, the Word of God had not been fully revealed. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, look, there's a time here when it's necessary for the, to be incomplete revelation. But when that time is done and the complete comes, when the Word is fully revealed then those tongues and those prophecies that were necessary for the time, they'll be done away. And so there was a time in which Christians were filled with the Spirit in the speaking of tongues and the prophets. That's no longer true today because we have the Word of God. But what's noteworthy in the book of Acts is this phrase is used far more often to talk about ordinary, non-miraculous sorts of fillings of Christians with the Spirit. That's to say that people encounter a situation in which God is being talked about or the word is being read. And it says they're filled with the spirit and they speak boldly. And so there's some sort of conviction, some sort of confidence that's spoken of here in these passages. So, for example, turn with me over to Acts chapter 4, verse 31. We could turn over to Acts chapter 4, verse 8, and see there how Peter, before the council, uh, uh, was filled with the Spirit, and and he speaks boldly, and that language is there of of someone whom is so impacted by God in their life that they speak boldly in a difficult circumstance. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the apostles have been let go from by the council, having been punished, and they pray. And after they had prayed, by the way, praying a psalm, It says there in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, that when they prayed, the place which they were gathered was shaken. God shakes that place, and they're all filled with the Spirit. And what does that mean? They continue to speak the Word, and they do so with great conviction, great confidence, great boldness. And so you would go forward in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, and Acts chapter 13, verse 9, and you'd find situations in which that phrase is used Not obviously in a miraculous way, but describing either someone's faith in the scriptures, someone's coming to an understanding of the scriptures and speaking with conviction. And so these aren't necessarily miraculous fillings, but they are people's encounter with the word of God in which the spirit is now full within them and they act as such. Why would they do that? Why would they be filled with the spirit when they come encounter with the word of God? Well, we know the reason is, is because it was the spirit that produced the word to come encounter with the word of God is to encounter the spirit. You know this, but think with me for a moment about the spirit's influence on the scriptures and how the word of God came from the days of Jesus. The New Testament reveals to us that the spirit would be the messenger 
that would bring us the word of God in its full completion as we have it in the New Testament. Jesus speaks about this and over in John chapter 16, verse 13. You can turn with me over there and you can read there that there in John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus is promising to his apostles that the Spirit would come. And he, he speaks about this Holy Spirit in 16, verse 13, as the Spirit of truth. And he says in verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that you that are to come. He will glorify, for, glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus describes a process of unfolding of revelation that is fulfilled in the New Testament as the apostles begin to speak and to write what they receive from the Spirit. Peter indicates as much in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, where after he's relayed what he had seen on the Mount of Transfiguration earlier in that chapter of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he says that the prophecy which he has spoken and which other prophets have spoken doesn't come by their own private interpretation. In other words, they're not making up. It's something that they received as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. The idea is that the revelation comes from the Spirit. And so the point here that I'm making to you is, is that the reason that those Christians in Antioch were filled with the Spirit and the reason that those Christians are filled when they pray in the, the Psalms is because the Psalms and the Word of God is from the Spirit. And so to pray that, to counter that, to be moved by that, to find joy in that is to be filled with the very one who that, that Word comes from. And so this is a truth of the Scriptures that... Throughout the scriptures, we realize that the New Testament was proclaimed by individuals who were inspired by the Spirit of God. That's a familiar idea for us, but that's very important when we come to understand what is it that we have to do here with when it comes to the Word of God. These are the words of the Spirit. This is the New Testament given by God through inspiration to the apostles. And that's so foundational. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we know that the Spirit is inspired, that the Scriptures are inspired by God so that we might be built up in the faith. So we know this. And, and it's for this reason that we emphasize what the Scriptures are. What is the Scriptures? If you forget your Bible, what have you forgotten? Your sword, right? Why do we call it a sword? Well, that's because that's, because that's what the Scriptures call it. We recognize that the scriptures speak about the Bible, speak about the scriptures as being an instrument of the Spirit of God. If you're a mechanic and I was to say, what are your tools? You say, well, I've got a wrench, I've got, I've got a screwdriver. If, if I'm a dentist, I've got a drill. Ouch. But you know the tools of those professions. Well, the Spirit doesn't have a drill or a wrench. The Spirit has the Word by which he accomplishes his will. And so it is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, when we read about the whole armor of God, that one of those pieces is this sword of the Spirit. It is, as it were, the Spirit has this instrument, this tool, this implement by which he accomplishes God's will in our life. Is that a dead tool? In other words, is it something that is just there, we read it, and it has no living and active effect on our life? No, we know that the Scriptures teaches us that this is an animated word. This is not just pages. There is a spirit. There is a life, the life of God that works through these pages. And so it is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that we realize that the, that the word 
is the sword of the Spirit, but it's also a sword of scalpel that goes down and roots around and discovers who I really am and also extracts what needs to be taken out. Yes? It discerns my thought and actions and holds it up for me to see and say, John, you've got to get rid of that. Or, John, you need to do more of that. And so it's a living word. It's an active word in the sense that the Spirit is moving in that word and moves and acts on our life in ways that are deep and and exposes us to what God wants us to do. I trust that these are in large part reviews, but what I want to suggest to you is that there have been different ways that people down through the centuries, from the first century on, have understood the way that the Spirit works in the Word. This morning, I want to think with you specifically about that because, again, we're trying to get back to the ways that those first century Christians were energized by the word. You remember when they read the word, they saw it and, and they were filled with that spirit. They took joy in that. They glorified the word. What do I need to do to get that generator in my life? Well, we have to understand the way the spirit works through the word. If you've been a Christian very long, you know that oftentimes when we come to this topic, We think about groups out there that have a misunderstanding of how the Word works in our life, of how the Spirit works in our life. We could name them this morning, but let me just describe generally a view here of the Holy Spirit, which would describe these sorts of of, of people. So I'll refer to this as the first view of the Holy Spirit. And the point of this is to begin to get at what the truth is as we think about how the Bible talks about how the Spirit relates to the Word. So, so the first is, is a view of this is, um, I think I lost a paragraph here, so maybe we'll get to it. Okay, there we go. The first view is that the Spirit works through the Word, but not only through the Word. That is to say that, uh, John, you are so decrepit, you are so sinful that you cannot receive what the Word has to say unless the Spirit first comes and prepares your heart. There's a sort of operation here of the Spirit apart from the Word that that makes you able to receive that Word. And, And we don't know who can receive that Word, but certain people can and certain people can't. This is a direct view of the Scriptures which says... uh, The Spirit doesn't work only through the Word, but works apart from the Word and and prepares someone's heart. And not only that, um, the Spirit can inform me of things apart from the Word. In the first century, uh, in the second century, in the area of Asia, there was a a group of Christians known as the Montanists. And they followed a a prophet who was a false prophet named Montanus. And Montanus said this. He says, you know, I know what the Scripture says. But there are other things the scripture says that have been revealed to me, and you need to follow me on that. And down through the centuries, there have been individuals and groups that have said, the scriptures say this, but we have had this revealed to us. And so the spirit operates outside the word. This is the view which would say that one can be personally inspired by the spirit of God. You're familiar with this. This is a challenge because who's to say what is right and wrong in that sort of circumstance? And so this was a a phenomenon even in the first century during the times of the apostles when these miraculous gifts were working and people didn't have the scripture and you'd have Christians who were revealed to by God wisdom and knowledge. And this in Acts, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is an example of a gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And Paul describes there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 how certain Christians receive this sort of miraculous wisdom and, and sort of prophecy. And there were other Christians that seemed who had the gift of knowledge and, and discernment to be able to say which spirits were true and which were not. So this was a phenomenon of the first century. But after the scriptures come, do we need that sort of miraculous gift anymore? No. And so now all that we have, all that we need for life and godliness comes through the scriptures. And so down through the centuries, people have recognized, look, the the scriptures don't teach that after the first century, the spirit works apart from the word. Rather, when you see what the spirit is described as in the New Testament, it's very much what the word of God does in our life. And so this is a view which would say that the spirit works only through that sword of the spirit, that instrument of the word of God. What do you think about that? I read a book the other day who says, that, put it this way, it says the spirit is inseparable from the word. And so the idea is that you don't encounter the spirit other than through the word of God. This same book uh, referred to John chapter 6 verse 63 and where Jesus says that his words are the spirit and life. In other words, his words give life. And the idea here of, of this book was is that you don't encounter the Holy Spirit other than in the words of Jesus and his apostles. This is sometimes referred to as as the word-only understanding of the Holy Spirit. And and so you understand there's a power in this viewpoint because if you ask, how does the Spirit operate in my life? It's just the facts of Scripture, man. It's just the information I received in the Word of God. And there's a lot to be said for that because actually when you do look at how the Spirit works in the New Testament and how the Word works in our life, There's a lot of overlap there. The way that salvation comes to us, the way that sanctification works in our life, the way that we understand the will of God, it's very much the spirit working through the word. And so that's an important corrective to that first view. We understand that. But it's important to realize that the New Testament view is somewhat different than this view. Because one could take this view and have a a word which is not living and active. That's somehow static. That's just the facts. And those facts have been laid down by a spirit 2,000 years ago. And there's no longer a person of God behind these words. There's no longer a plug for us to put our spiritual life into and draw energy from the power of God. And so this morning I want to observe that really when you look at the ways that the Bible talks about the spirit and the way the spirit operates on our life, you see that the spirit is... God working through the word. And if we're going to receive the spirit, if we're going to have access to spirit, it occurs through our relationship to that word. There's nothing mysterious about that. This is what's described in Acts chapter 2. On that great day of Pentecost when Peter proclaims the gospel to the people there assembled in Jerusalem. If you observe the passages there in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, what Peter there describes is, is that, that, that Jesus has received the promise of the Spirit, and it's through that Spirit that, that the works being done in their midst and the gospel being proclaimed is happening. In other words, it's the Spirit through the Word that's proclaiming the gospel to them. The gospel, the message of salvation, comes through the Spirit from Jesus, just as Jesus had prophesied in the book of John. Not only does the gospel come through the revelation of the Spirit, but when one obeys the Spirit, there's a a relationship there that begins with the Spirit, when one obeys the Word of God. 
And so it is in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that we read that, that when one repents, one is convicted, one has compunction because of what you've received from the gospel. And you believe in that and you obey and you put on Jesus in baptism that you receive the gift of that Holy Spirit. That's a relationship that comes through the word. It happens through the word, but it's a relationship with God that begins in a new way. And not only that, as we become Christians and we grow, hopefully, and we mature and and we're sanctified, we're made holy by our relationship with Jesus. We read in the book of Acts that Christians there in Jerusalem, after some time, they grew in relationship to the Spirit. They didn't just receive the Word and and receive the gift of the Spirit. There's There's a development there in the relationship to the Spirit. And so, for example, in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 6, you realize that there's a growth there in Judea so that people are increasingly walking in the fear of the Lord, which certainly comes from the Word of God, and in the comfort, the confidence, the conviction that comes from that, which is here referred to in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, as the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere, there's described a wisdom that comes upon men whom have been informed and are are sanctified by the Spirit. You see, there's a relationship here with the Spirit of God through the Word. And it's only through the Word, but it's with the Spirit of God. And so when we think about tapping into that sort of power which those early Christians had in their life, glorifying the Word, we realize that there is a person of God behind the Scripture. The Holy Spirit gives us these words that we might be conformed more fully into the image of the Son and might more fully glorify the Father who is our God in heaven. That changes, friend, things for me, brothers and sisters. When you realize that, yes, the Spirit works through the Word, but it's the Spirit. (laughs) And when you look at the Scriptures, it's very clear that what we're to be filled with is the influence of that Spirit through the Word. So let me conclude this morning, which is three consequences of this. First of all, When we think about our relationship to the Word of God, it should be one of growth. We are in a relationship here with with God. And so as such, it should be one in which we're excelling all the more in our knowledge of that that God. I teach at a college where I teach history, and the students come in, and they've got all their textbooks, and, and they're all ready for class. And for some of them, it comes as kind of a shock that... After they bought their textbooks and they have to show up, they have to actually learn something. Right? And we laugh, but I think sometimes as Christians, we can kind of fall into that trap. I showed up. I got my Bible. Oh, wait, you mean I've got to grow in knowledge? I've got to grow in relationship? Of course we do. But, but the point is, is until you see that there is a God behind those scriptures, working through those scriptures, you might not understand the degree to which you need to grow in that knowledge. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul is describing the Colossians and the ways that they have matured. And he prays for them that they might continue to mature. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He goes on to describe a relationship to the word and the spirit that worships that word that is a strengthening, a growth. Paul knew this. And so it is that we need to grow in relationship to the Spirit. I don't need to tell you that a good marriage is a marriage in which a husband and wife realize that they need to come to know each other better. 
You need to not just marry that person, live with that person. You need to say, who is this person? (laughs) And how can I come to a greater understanding of who she or he is? So too, in our relationship with the Spirit of God, who is that Spirit? And how can we deepen? Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom. We are made full of the Spirit as we gain that wisdom. What a great blessing. So as we grow, we should recognize there that that is, in fact, a filling of ourselves up with the Spirit. This is the language of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, where we're not supposed to be inebriated, filled up with wine and alcohol, but rather the idea is, is that our lives are filled with the Spirit. Those words and that wisdom that comes through the Scriptures in which we hear each other sing as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That is to say that we're growing in reverence for Christ through the Spirit. You see how the Scriptures describe how we plug into the Spirit. And that's by seeking to be more full of His wisdom. So how do we do this? Well, the Scriptures repeat it. We've already seen it over in Colossians. Describe a life of prayer as being the action by which we take our lives and plug it into the Spirit. And so if we're not praying, if you wake up this morning and say, did I pray this morning? Your battery is on zero. Because prayer is the action by which we plug in, we fill up into the Word. Reading is important as well, but the Scriptures are clear that prayer is essential to fuller knowledge of the, of, of the Spirit's revelation. Notice how Paul describes this over in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, verses 14 through 19. So Ephesians chapter 3. Turn with me over there. This is an important uh, passage for us to make sure that we see. Uh, throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul has described the relationship of the Christians to the Spirit. And, and we've already seen how he did that back in chapter 5, verse 18, talking about there how we should be filled with the Spirit. But before that, in, Acts, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14, he's described the way in which we become full of the Spirit. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, that he prays for the Christians. He says in 3.14, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. How, Paul? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, you know, whenever I read Ephesians, I have difficulty remembering the first part of the sentence by the time I get to the end of the sentence. You know that feeling. But the big picture here, Paul is saying, is I'm praying that you might be filled with the Spirit. And that's a matter of knowing, of comprehending, of understanding what is revealed about Jesus. His love, which he says, by the way, is beyond knowledge. You can't fully comprehend it. And so what should we be doing? We should be praying that we might have insight, more insight, into who Jesus is, into who God is. And how does that come? Well, it comes through the providence of God. People coming into our lives, books coming into our lives, conversations, even what we read. If you've been a Christian very long, you know what I'm talking about. You, You come across things, you say, how did God put that in my life? That's just what I needed. That's what we're talking about here. Plugging in. To the person 
that is in the Word, and that is the Holy Spirit. It's a life that's vibrant, that's living and active, in which we connect to God through His Word. And so, finally this morning, we recognize that we pray for the fruit of the Spirit. See, the the Spirit, when we tap it into the Word, it has effects in our life. And those effects build upon them. We read about the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. You recognize them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Those are the consequences of a life that's lived in the Word and in the world living according to the Spirit. And so what we do is we pray for those that those virtues, those qualities might grow in our life. That we might ever more deeply know who the Spirit is and live Him out in our life. This is what Paul prays for in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Notice here how he talks about how God gives the power for a deeper life in the Spirit. A life of joy and of peace. Joy. He says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What he's saying here, there is a power of the Spirit that works through the Word of God. When you tap into that, it fills you up, not only with the Word, but with the consequences of that Word. And what is the consequence of that? Joy. What does that mean for you? Joy. Puts a big smile on your face, doesn't it? Well, maybe. Sometimes we have joy in very difficult circumstances. I saw a woman not too long ago on her deathbed in excruciating pain. Her face was far from smiling. But as we sang hymns and she sang along with us with the hope of heaven, that Christian woman's heart was filled with complete joy, even in the midst of such pain and sorrow all around her. That's the joy that comes regardless of circumstance from a knowledge of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's what we pray for as we tap into the power of the word. So this morning, what I would just ask you to do is like those Christians in Acts chapter 13, rejoice and glorify the word. And that's not a matter of worshiping the word. That's a matter rather of having a devotion to the word that seeks to have greater relationship with the spirit of God. People accuse us of Bibliolatry. You ever heard of that? The idea that you worship the Bible. That, that's not what it's about. It's not about worshiping this. It's about worshiping the spirit that works through this. Of knowing and, and, and honoring the God that works through that word. That's a, that's a life of, of, of devotion to the word that enables the spirit to empower us. And so we need to be filled with that joy that comes from that. And then, and then finally, grow in that. I, I call this a, a spirituality of the Word. And, and by what all that I mean by that is it's a relationship to the Spirit. In which when I put my Bible open and I'm studying, my prayer is, is that I might grow in my relationship to God through the Spirit. That's a personal relationship. That's a personal faith to God. And so be growing in that through study. Study takes on a new meaning when you realize you're, you're learning a person, not just a page. You grow in that. And in prayer, petitioning God for his providence that we might be able to gain greater understanding. And then practicing those that joy that comes from that word. Thank you for your kind attention this morning. This is so important. 
as we think about what is it that keeps us coming back to the Word. The Spirit works through the Word, but it's a relationship we're to have with the Spirit. And so as we train our children up, as we send them to schools that would try to gauge them in the Word, there needs to be a personal relationship with the Spirit of God. And in our faith, let us believe in Jesus, that He is the Son of God, but let's also believe it is the Spirit who reveals Jesus to us through the Word. It's essential to our faith this very day. So my question to you this morning is, is do you have a relationship to God through his word? Jesus came in order to reconcile us to God. We who are sinners are dead in our sins apart from Jesus' sacrifice. And what we learn through the spirit is that Jesus came to reconcile us, to make us at one with God. We learn that through the word. And it is Jesus who beckons us, the bride who beckons us, but as the book of Revelation teaches us, it's also the Spirit who says, come. This very morning, won't you respond to Christ's invitation while we stand and while we sing?